Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Any questions I ask myself. Table fam, how are we feeling tonight? Come on, hey, can we just give it up one more time just for Luke's and Carolina, just for leading us in music? Wow, I, man, I, I, we, are, we are incredibly blessed uh, just with our team that we have here. Um, at the same time, I can say that I miss you guys. So thank you. I was incredible being led by you this morning. Or sorry, not this morning. Wow, the tonight. Okay. Uh, hey, if you have not had a chance to meet, my name is Isaac. I'm the young adult pastor here at First Orlando and part of our table leadership team here. And then a few years ago, um, I found myself at a church leaders conference. So at the time, I was working for a church. And this church leaders conference was for uh, church leaders, for pastors, for church staff, um, for ministers. And there was a prominent church in the city that had put on this conference for all these other churches to come so they could be helpful and to try to learn. Um, so I find myself there and the church staff that I was with at the time. So we're there at this conference. Um, and the main guy, the main pastor that was leading this conference, that was part, the lead pastor of this prominent church in the city, um, he was talking about like their, their, their core values. He was talking about um, kind of the things that like drive their decision making as a church on how they do things. And he was talking about their value is our authenticity transparency, just embracing your broke. It's very similar here to the table, honestly, like just transparency, vulnerability, just embracing, embracing brokenness. And then he didn't just stop there. Then he goes into talking about his own brokenness. And then he goes into talking about his own um, sexual brokenness. And then he says this line where he says, hey, in my, in my sexual brokenness, in my flesh, I want to sleep with all your wives. Uh-huh. And the exact same way that you're responding is the exact same way that we were there in the audience. We're like, can, can you say, like, he just said that? Can you say that? And that's, I don't remember anything else from the conference. <laughs> but I remember that line. And I think part of the reason why I remember that line is because um, as extreme as that statement was, and you know, you can argue, and even now you can argue um, its appropriateness for the setting, but, but it, what it highlighted for me, what I already knew to be true, is that honest conversations around sex and lust are rare in church. Honest conversations about sex and lust are rare um, in church. And as rare as that may be, that's exactly what we're talking about tonight. And the reason we're talking about tonight is because Jesus talks about it. And it's the very next things that he talks about in the series that we're in, Sermon on the Mount. Last week, you can check it out on YouTube or on Spotify or Apple Music. Um, we talked about conflict and anger and, and reconciliation and what that looks like. And then the very next thing that Jesus says is talking about um, sex and talking about lust. And now I know even as I say that, I know that we're all coming from different places. Um, see, some of us, whenever we just, I just say those words like sex and lust, um, the, the, how you hear it is like, what's the big deal? Like, it's normal. Isaac, bro, like, get out of church world, man. That's normal. Like, that's just normal words that people use. Like, sex, sure, it's, it can get messy and complicated sometimes, but lust, like, why, like, is that even a thing? Like, what, what's, what's the big deal? What's going on there, right? And, and if that's where you're coming from, I think it's incredibly normal um, for that to be your starting spot for some of you in the room. Um, my aim and my purpose is to try to bring some weight to the words of Jesus and how he's talking about sex and how he talks about lust. So I want to bring, like, appropriate level of gravitas and weightiness to the words of Jesus and how he talks about it. 
Now, that's not all of you. Here, here's how um, m- probably a lo- more of you, I would imagine, um, is that whenever I say the words sex and lust, it's, you don't feel, um, you already feel the weight of it, and you actually feel crushed by it. And when you feel crushed by sex and lust and the struggles that you have, like, I don't need to convince you of the weightiness. You already feel it. I mean, here's what you feel. It's on the screen here. You feel loneliness and you feel shame. And the reason I know that is because for so much of my life, I felt lonely and I felt shameful. Well, I'm crying already this early, okay? (laughs) I felt uh, loneliness and I felt shameful um, just from, from my own experience in, in, in dealing with lust and dealing with sex. It's such a big part of my story. And, the, the, and what I know from my own story too, which is I know it can be true of you as well, is there's hope and there's healing. So however you're coming into this room tonight, we're all coming from such different places and such different uh, experiences or lack of experiences. But here's what I want to do is I want to just be able to hold the weight of the words of Jesus. And even in that weight, I want us to find hope and healing and wholeness. I'm going to pray for that right now. Father, man, just Jesus, as we're just talking about, as we're talking about what we need to talk about tonight, God, I just pray for, for, I pray for me and the words that you've given me to say. God, and I pray for the heart of our people to be able to hear. God, I can only say what you've told me to say, God, but I know that our people that are listening can only hear when you allow them to hear. God, so I'm praying that you open up their heart to be receptive to the words, God, and that even tonight and just already this amazing night that we've had so far, God, you're just doing something something supernatural, God, and I pray that the work continues to do a work in our hearts, God, that only you can do. We can't manufacture it. We can't try harder, God. We can't white-knuckle it. We can't do more, God. We can only rely on you and the power of your spirit to move forward God, with what you've prepared beforehand. And that's what I'm praying for for the next moments we have together. And that's what I'm praying for for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5. Let's get into it. Um, 27, Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he says this. He says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's using this word adultery. And and as he's saying this, he says, you have heard that it was said. The people that he's speaking to, these were Pharisees. These were people that knew the law. These were teachers of the law. And here's how they thought through adultery. They thought through adultery through the lens of loopholes. Because how they defined adultery was by the most technical, narrow definition of the term adultery, where they would say, hey, I'm a married man. It is adulterous to have a relationship with a married woman. Okay, that's fine. I'll just have sex with unmarried women. And that's what they would do. And they thought they were fine because they weren't, quote unquote, committing adultery, right? They were finding uh, loopholes um, within that, right? And we feel this all the time, right? Like we, uh, many of us ourselves, for a long time, I hand included, we're asking, hey, um, we're modern day Pharisees because we're asking where the line is. Hey, how far is too far? Hey, when I'm with my boyfriend or my girlfriend, how far is too far? Hey, when I'm with someone that I just met, how far is too far? Hey, when I get on social media and I start going for hashtags or start going for clicks or start going for profiles, like it's not, like it's fine, right? It's fine. How, how far is too far? And so what Jesus wants to do is Jesus wants to close the loophole. Jesus doesn't want us to think through technicalities. Jesus doesn't want us to think through loopholes. He wants us to think through the full um, um, uh, uh, appropriateness of what he means. And here's what he says, is that he says that, look, he closes the loophole by elevating the standard. And he also introduces us to us, not just by a narrow definition of adultery. He wants to broaden the word to talk about this whole idea of just sexual immorality, right? And here's how he elevates the standard. He's saying, hey, look, sex before marriage. Um, sex outside of marriage, 
Um, sex by yourself. Okay, I don't need to get explicit. Dude. Okay, y'all get that, right? Y'all understand what I mean by that? Okay, you know I'm at masturbation. Okay, cool. So, um, so he said, hey, look, no, no, like, you're thinking, okay, Isaac, no intercourse. Like, that's fine. Like, you know how much I can do before intercourse? <laughs> um, I was in a, uh, I went to this one church that I knew, um, and they had, like, a prep for marriage class, and they had this, um, like, sexual scale where, like, one was, like, like literally, like, a numerical scale of, um, of sexual acts. Like, number one is hand-holding. Number nine is intercourse. And then it just went from like two through eight, everything in between. Okay, here's what I was thinking, because I'm on church staff. I'm like, imagine that staff meeting of them planning what two through nine were. How awkward was that? Like, are they whiteboarding? That's so awkward. But I think that's often how we, how we think about it. It's like, okay, how can I, oh, yeah, yeah, nine is uh, sexual intercourse. Sure, 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 I understand that. Um, can I get to eight? Can I get to seven? Can I get to six? Can I get to five? Can I get to four? How far is too far? And Jesus wants to not have us not think that way. Because whenever we think that way, we're still thinking through technicalities and we're still thinking through loopholes. Here's how Jesus wants us to think. It's not just that he elevates the standard to this whole idea of sexual immorality. He elevates it even further by saying, and here's where sexual immorality happens. It's not with your hands. It's not with your body. He says it happens in your heart. He says here, he says this in verse 28 where he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with, here's this term right here, lustful intent has already committed adultery with her, where? In his heart, right? So what does that mean uh, to commit um, in your heart? In your heart, it's this idea, it's the very center of your being. It's your thoughts, it's your emotions, it's your will. So Jesus is saying, hey, look, whenever you have lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. Whatever acts, like one through nine, whatever full intercourse, hey, it's, it's even. It's the same thing. You actually be, having sexual intercourse is the same thing as you just having um, lustful desires in your heart. So now the question is, okay, well, what are lustful desires? Uh, this is not that complicated to explain, but it takes a little bit of explanation. There's a difference between a look and lusting. Looking, there are a lot of beautiful people in the world. And it's okay to acknowledge that. You look, okay, that's a beautiful person. Great, and you move on. Here's what happens is whenever the look becomes a stare. And when that stare lingers. And whenever, you know what I'm talking about, the double take, the triple take, right? And whenever now you take that image, now you go home with that image. And here with that image, now you start creating fantasies. And where do those fantasies start getting created? In your hearts. It's very different just to look at somebody and just see, yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a beautiful person, great, moving on. And to then say, look, I'm, I'm thinking about that person, I'm fantasizing about that person, I'm not even with that person anymore, and I'm still thinking about them, and now I'm starting to wanting to act on those desires, and maybe I can try to be with this person, or maybe I just use those thoughts to try to do something. Look, um, it's all lustful happening in the heart, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. It's not just of a technical definition of what adultery or sexual acts are. It's from the purest form of in your heart. Jesus gets to the heart um, of the matter. You see, but the Pharisees were doing exactly what our culture tells us to do. Because whenever we try to take it out of our heart, here's what we do. We end up splitting our body and our soul. See, what Jesus is doing is saying, hey, lust happens in the heart, but whenever we start thinking like Pharisees, we split. It's a, there's a splitting of our body and our soul, and that's where we experience shame. 
See, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, um, uh, God created the world, and he created humans, and he created them good, and he created them for, with, gave them a God-given longing and desire for connection with him and for each other. And God called it good, and it was amazing. And they were naked, and they weren't ashamed, and it was incredible, right? And then from there, they sin. They, 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 they start calling good things bad thing. They call a bad thing a good thing. They exchange the truth for a lie. They're deceived by the certain, but they also were willing um, complicence of sin and sin entering to the world. And now, whenever sin entered into the world, they notice that this, um, they notice that they were naked. And for the first time ever, shame enters into the world. So the reason that we feel shame whenever it comes to sex and when it comes to lust, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to not just sex and lust and relationships, but also when it comes to other aspects of our life, the reason that we experience shame, although I do know that um, sex and relationships and lust is such a primary source of shame for so many of us, which is why we're talking about this tonight. Um, Whenever we experience shame, it's because of our first parents, Adam and Eve, back on page three of the Bible. And shame has been happening for so long. And this is what, this is shame. There's a, um, arguably the world's leading PhD um, expert in shame is a woman by the name of Brene Brown. And she defines shame this way. She did all this research and she defines shame this way. It's an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced done or fail to do that makes us unworthy of connection. She's saying, hey, look, um, um, shame is this thing that we just want to feel belonging. We want to feel love. We want to feel connection. We want the whole self. We want to feel connected to other peoples with the whole, a wholeness and a purity. See, and what happened whenever our first parents, Adam and Eve, they split body and soul and they sin. They experience shame. And from that now, the connection that we desire for other people, we no longer think about it. As, we no longer think about it in, a, in, a, in an integrated body and soul. We want to separate body and soul. And we want to satisfy our body and we want to satisfy our soul, but we don't think those two things happen at the same time or integrated in the same way. So some of the ways that, um, I mean, uh, even today, um, I was just experience, like just thinking through the message today, and even you know I was crying a few minutes ago, and just thinking through just like my own um, my own journey through this, like these the, the things that I've done, um, the things the things that I've experienced, and I just think of a lot. I just have a lot of shame that Jesus is trying to rescue me from. But I think it's real being being, being able to acknowledge the experience that just our minds just keep going back to the guilt that we feel, and then from there, what Jesus wants to rescue us from is giving us a new identity and knowing, hey, it's not what you've done where you get your identity. It's who I'm saying that you are, and if you're following me, you're mine, and there's no more shame. I don't know how you came in today, but I'm here to say, like, there is no shame for those that are in Jesus Christ, right? Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. So whatever your experience up to this point has been with sex, with lust, with relationships, whatever it's been, I'm saying there's no more shame that you are worthy, that you are loved, that Jesus loves you, that the Father loves you, that Jesus, God loved you so much to send his son for you to die for you. And you can experience a new life in him and that for the first time ever today, you can experience a life where you don't have to experience shame anymore. Some of you tonight was the first night you will ever even taste that. 
And that's my prayer as we continue going. I have still more to say, but as we continue going, I just want us to feel in this moment that as they continue speaking, that God will just start working on your heart at any shame that you experience. You know that Jesus, if you're following Jesus, he's healed you, he's redeemed you, he loves you, and you don't need to carry that burden that we've been carrying whatever you came into the room today. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, <laughs> we, we have... Uh, we have longings, we have desires for connection, right? Like we want to be seen and known and loved. We want to be noticed. We want to have conversation. We want to connect emotionally. We want to connect physically. That's true. Like, and we're imperfect and, we, we, and we're still loved anyway, regardless, right? So, but here's two ways. I think it's helpful to be able to talk through this with more, with um, kind, of get, kind of botting that out a little bit, is here's one way we experience shame. We experience shame by denying our body, Here's what I mean by this, is that longings and desires need to be rejected, suppressed, and ignored. If you grew up, I grew up in, um, in church, I grew up in like in a, a charismatic church, and my, my growing up in church was so beautiful in so many ways, but um, intentionally and unintentionally what happened to me is I grew up denying the body and the, the physical needs of the body and the desires and the passions that were there to where even the thought of like wanting bodily connection and passion was something to be shamed. Like, how dare you even think that? You shouldn't want that. Like, that's an obstacle for you, between you and God. And I know for so many of us as well, like, that's the culture that we grew up in where sex is gross, right? And like, it's just this thing that, that, um, that with bodies we, that are op, like are obstacles between us and God and even having an initial thought in the first place of a desire for connection with a human being is something that is shameful, right? So it's all, it's all talking about soul and all talking about spirituality and no talk of body, right? See, and all the, see but the, the thing is like these talks about desire and sex and body, they're still happening. They just happen in whispers, and they happen at home with your, with your friends from school, right? People growing up, your siblings. And it's not talked about in an incredibly healthy way in a, in a Jesus-centered, gospel-centered, like church community environment. So now what that does is that creates a disintegration of saying, oh, I can talk about body with my non-Christian friends, but with my Christian friends, we don't really talk about it much. We just pretend that everything's okay and we don't have those desires and everything's great. And whenever I come to church, I'm just going to pretend that it's fine, that I'm not struggling, that I'm gray, but, or maybe that I used to struggle, but I don't struggle anymore. We only want to confess whenever we're healed. We don't want to confess when we still need healing. Uh-oh. Y'all feel that? Man, I'm, say, I'm saying this from experience, y'all. Uh, yeah. Uh, see, we think that church is the last place that we want to make sense of longings and desires, and it's all done in whispers. And we think that God is only pleased when we ignore our passions. We, we long for connection. So, man, again, I grew up, uh, like, in purity culture. Um, did anybody else do True Love Weights? Few, few of us? Okay, maybe it was an older thing, a few of us. Okay, maybe some of our, our um, kind of later 20s friends in the room. Um, so True Love Weights was basically this thing where, like, you got a—it was like a, like a whole, like, purity pledge. Like, you signed a card. Um, you said, like, I'm going to be sexually—I'm going to be sexually pure. Like, you signed a card. You even, like, gave you even, like, a wedding ring to wear. And you'd put this wedding ring, and even the, my youth pastor at the time, like, he told this story around how, like, on his wedding day, um, he presented his purity ring to his wife, and his wife presented her purity ring to him. And it was this beautiful story. And now, for some, I don't want to diminish the story, for some, that is an incredibly beautiful story. It is. I think that's an amazing story. For others, for most of us, let's be honest, we can't give that purity ring to someone else. Uh-uh. 
So what does that do? That induces a lot of shame, and now it's not a culture that's not safe to talk about the mistakes that we make anymore, right? And now we can't process it and be open with that, and it just creates an incredibly shameful culture. And I grew up with this, and this was my story, right? Like after I started looking at porn in high school and then going into college and feeling so much shame and being at church and trying to find healing and then talking about it and trying to just end the struggle that it was, and yet I still felt this need to just present myself clean to all of my friends and like I wasn't struggling anymore, so then what did I do? I went from what eventually, so if we can think of um, experiencing shame denying our body, you could almost think about it through, we'll use food metaphors, it's starvation. You're starving yourself by not being honest with yourself. So what happens when you starve yourself? If you want to live, what do you got to do? You got to eat. So then you start eating. But what do you eat? When, number two is you experience shame by denying our soul. And when you start eating, you're not eating good food, you're eating fast food. And this fast food that we're eating is cheap. This fast food that we eat is casual. This fast food that we eat is fast. Yeah, if, if denying your body starvation, denying your soul is fast food, and with fast food, you know this, it might, I was having a conversation about McDonald's earlier, which, um, which kind of destroys the metaphor that I'm making, but either way, you get it. Um, might, you might feel satisfaction in the moment, but it makes you feel sick. You guys watch, um, uh, what was that, the McDonald's documentary? Uh, help me out here. Supersize me? Uh-huh. See, and whenever we have a den- uh, denying our soul but satisfying the cravings of our body, it's, we're basically living a supersize me documentary. We're just shoving McDonald's in our mouth, and we're trying all different st- types of stuff on the menu, thinking that it's going to satisfy, and it doesn't. Right? So with me, man, I, um, I went from then now just struggling internally then to starting to just like starting to do things with people, but then, but then struggling with that. And then, and then it wasn't enough. And then more and more and more and more. And I was destroying myself from the inside out. Why? Because I was trying to crave um, body. I was trying to um, satisfy uh, my body when really I was longing for a soul satisfaction and just going about it from satisfying the body wasn't happening eating fast food after fast food after fast food, right? And what this does is it's refusal to see sexual acts as a sacred fire that can burn everyone and everything around you, right? Sex is so powerful. It's this amazing fire, but unhinged, it just burns everything around you. I don't need to tell this to you. You've experienced this in your story, some of you. And the reason you're here at the table is because you tried fast food over and over and over again. And you're just den- denying your soul, dissatisfying the cravings of your body. And just more and more and more and more. And it was never enough. And you're like, I need something else. This isn't working anymore. I can't, it's like the Mick Jagger song. Like, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try and I try and I try and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. And that's how, for some of us, our stories is that that doesn't satisfy. And then we cra- start craving something else, Right? Um, so we find that we've placed too much of a weight whenever we're denying our, denying our soul but satisfying the cravings of our body. We, de- we, we find that we've placed too much weight on other people or too much weight on our sexual experiences to satisfy the deep needs of our soul. See, and what the Pharisees were doing is exactly what the Pharisees were doing is exactly where so many of us find ourselves is a splitting of body and soul. So now we're going to neglect the soul. We're going to satisfy the cravings of the body by looking at porn by going on Tinder, by masturbating, by clubbing and partying, by reading erotic novels, uh uh-oh, by watching explicit films, by saying, hey, the clothes never came off, by saying, hey, we only used hands. However you want to define this, it's still a, it's a bodily 
satisfaction that will never satisfy the deepest longings of connection that we want in our soul. And trying to go about it by going off technicalities will never satisfy what only Jesus can satisfy. Um, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, yeah, C.S. Lewis says this. He would seem, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making, here's this what he says, mud, ply, mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant when Jesus and God is offering this holiday. I didn't know that's how Europeans had vacation for the long, like, so like six months ago. <laughs> A vacation vacation at the sea, right? He says this. I love this line where he says, and it's also incredibly convicting as well. It's like the good, you know, the good hurt, like, ouch, that hurt really good. Like, you know this? He says, we are far too easily pleased. What C.S. Lewis is saying here is what Jesus is saying here is that we are far too easily pleased by separating our bodies from our souls and neither denying that our bodies exist in the first place or going all in and just satisfying the cravings of the bodies and who cares, let's have fun. And it doesn't work. So here's the big idea for tonight, is I want us to connect your body with your soul. Connect your body with your soul, right? See, our sexuality and our spirituality are connected. And what I would love for us to do and to be able to, and perhaps for some of you, this is just helping more fuel and you're fire and you're doing a great job and keep going. And for some of you, today's the first day you're going to start to be able to um, connect our body and soul and experience a sexual wholeness that we've never experienced before. And the food metaphor here is a banquet. It's a banquet, right? A banquet, this is this feast that doesn't just nourish our bellies with tasty things, see, but it nourishes our souls as well. And then this banquet, this isn't talking about like get married. This isn't talking about like, hey, wait, wait until marriage. No, no, no. This is a banquet can be, can, be, can be felt and satisfied and feasted on by both single people and married people. See, because if you're still separating your body and your soul, and then you think that in church they say, hey, the answer is just to get married, and then you get married, guess what? You still have a disintegrated body and soul. Marriage doesn't work. Talk to married people. It doesn't work right? Whenever you have a disintegrated body and soul, right, you'll still be um, with your spouse and still have such darkness on the inside. And that's what I want to prepare you to be able to navigate against before so many of you are married. Because single or married, there's life, there's communion, there's joy, and there's delight. See, in our, the sexual desires that are God-given, that's a weird thing to think, but the sexual desires are God-given. God has given it to us. He gave it to our first, our first parents, Adam and Eve. He gave them sexual desires. And as well, even the, though the fall happened, that doesn't mean that the sexual desires in and of themselves are bad or wrong or sinful. It's whenever we allow them to lustfully penetrate our heart and not take those lustful desires, those, um, sorry, not lustful, take those sexual desires that are pure, right, and be able to use them to fuel this banquet with Jesus that we desire and that we long for. You're like, I don't have any idea how to do that. I'm going to help you. We're going to talk about that in a second. But that's the ideal. That's what Jesus is offering us is this beautiful banquet where we can just 
feast with him and find wholeness and find restoration and find peace and find joy when it comes to our sexual wholeness, right? And our sexual desires bring us to union with God and communion with each other. Like the love of God, it doesn't remove our desires. It just reorders them in a way that brings us so much health and harmony, right? Because we were created for ecstasy, but ecstasy is only found in God. God is the ultimate source in our life and our joy and our sexual desire. See, in our bodies and our sexuality, we're meant to point to something outside of ourselves. I, I want you to think about the life of Jesus. Okay, Jesus was single. Y'all know this. Jesus was single. Jesus never got married. Jesus, but also Jesus was without sin. So he didn't commit adultery. He didn't even commit sexual acts. Jesus didn't even lust in his heart. He was without sin. But now, naturally, we may think, okay, so Jesus just wasn't attracted to people, so he was asexual. I don't think that's true. I think Jesus, like all of us, was um, completely human. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. And if he's fully human, that means he was also fully sexual. And if he was fully sexual, that means he also, I don't know exactly what his temptations were, although we do whenever we read the temptations from the, um, Satan in the, in the desert, we can get an idea. So I don't know how much Jesus struggled or didn't struggle. I have no idea. But I'm saying that Jesus was fully human. And if he's fully human, that means that he had desires that we experience as well. And Jesus' sexuality was not diminished or disordered or deficient, right? And to be following Jesus, to be sexual, doesn't mean that we're sexually active. Following Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're lusting after other people, right? Following Jesus, it's like, it doesn't mean that intercourse or anything like one through nine or whatever you want to think through that, it's not the only way to live sexuality to the fullest. It's to figure out whatever the line is and then getting as close to the line as we can, right? That's not the way to think about it. And Jesus was the perfect example of what it means to live a fully sexual life at its fullest, and Jesus himself wants to offer this banquet to us to get to experience what he experienced with full loving union and communion union with the Father as well as such loving union and communion with other people as well in a non-sinful way. Okay, so you're like, cool, I hear you, Isaac. How do I do that? Like, I, I, how, do, how do I do that, right? I don't, I don't know what that means. So here, here's, here's, here's how you can experience the banquet. There's three application points. Number one. Pray for redirected desire. Pray for redirected desire. Our desire that we feel in our hearts burning um, with lust or whenever we even think that we may start, may start lusting after somebody, um, we can pray for that to use that as fuel to point us back to God. I was reading a story and there was an example of this guy that was married. He was married, he loved his wife, he loved his marriage, but also he would see like these Victoria's Secret models and he was like, man, and he would start lusting after them. He's like, how do I, I love my wife, and yet these Victoria's Secret models, they're just stirring something within me, and I don't want that they're stirring something within me, but they are stirring something within me. How do I navigate that? And as he's writing, he's saying, I pray. And here's what he says. He says, Lord, why am I so attracted to these Victoria's Secret models? What, what is this fire that she stirs within me? God, I give it entirely to you. Purify my desires and show me what I'm really looking for. And then he says this, and then, after I speak to God, I just listen. And I listen to what God has to say back. 
So you, and God wants us to speak to our hearts. And God's, God knows he's not embarrassed whenever we're just honest. God's not embarrassed. It doesn't, it doesn't bother God. He doesn't blush because God knows that he created us as sexual beings. And God knows how to heal our wounds. God's the only person who knows how to heal our wounds. Because of the fall, because we're children of Adam and Eve, um, uh, our, we're split between body and soul. And whenever Jesus comes to rescue, to rescue us, to redeem us, to heal us, Jesus is working both in an instant and over a lifetime to integrate our body and soul. And that's what God wants to work on us on, is to be able to integrate sexual wholeness of body and soul. And only Jesus knows how to heal us. So he, we listen, we can journal, we can be honest in our journaling, and we just write what comes to mind, number one. Number two, we need to change our patterns. Change your patterns. Hear what I mean by this. We'll keep going in verse 29 where he says this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. In verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than to go that your whole body, that, than that your whole body go into hell. So here it's like, okay, do I really need to pluck out my eye and cut off my hand? It's, it's, a, it's an extreme metaphor that Jesus is giving. He's saying, hey, look, we should be, it's, we, Jesus here is not advocating for mutilating our body. He's saying the horror and the pain that you would experience if you pluck out your eye, if you cut out your hand, that's the exact same horror and pain um, to experience to escape not sending your body into hell by just giving into your lustful desires. And using that, that means that we need to remove the things that are causing us to act out sexually. So practically, um, that means that we need, to, um, uh, we need to inconvenience our life to save our soul. One more time. Inconvenience your life to save your soul. If, you're, don't, if you pluck out your eye and if you cut off your hand, that's fairly inconvenient, Right? Yeah, it's pretty inconvenient. He's saying, hey, look, it's painful. In a painful, inconvenient way, you change your patterns. And it's, it's different for everybody, right? So, for example, man, if you're someone that, like, clubbing, partying is just part of your story, and you keep going out, and you keep hooking up, and you keep going out, and you keep hooking up, right? And you're here, and you're there, and you're everywhere, and maybe you're here tonight, but you don't normally come, or whatever it may be, whatever your story is. Um, if you know that just going out to a bar or to a club is going to cause you to look up, to, to hook up, and even, like, and you even know, like, the mindset where like you want to look in a way that's like really like um, seductive, right? And try to, and trying to like get, be, like create thirst traps. So not, this is both guys and girls here that I'm talking about, right? So whenever you're going out and you're just trying to like just to go out to get attention, don't go out anymore. It's not good to continue going out to the same places where you know you're going to keep doing the same things. Now for others of you, maybe it's not going out. Maybe it's just like you know that you look at porn whenever you bring a device into the bathroom or in your room or wherever you look at it. So here's your first step. Um, don't take your device where you normally historically have looked at porn. Maybe you delete apps off your phone. Or maybe you just, um, you, you charging stations in the living room, whatever it may be for you. You need to remove access. You need to change your patterns. If you keep doing the same thing, thinking I'm just going to be stronger this time, I'm just not going to do it this time, it's a losing battle. You will lose every time. You have to change your patterns. 
because it, it's not going to work, right? And maybe for some, the rules are different for everybody, right? And, but I would say beware of man-made rules because some people are going to use their role and they're going to apply their, what's a boundary that they've set for themselves and then apply it to everybody. And we see this more when it comes to media, when it comes to books that we read, when it comes to films that we watch, when it comes to art that we look at, when it comes to music that we listen to. For some of us, we need to change our patterns dramatically with the media and the art and the culture that we consume because it's destroying our hearts and because of that, destroying our bodies. For others of us, we can watch things, we can see things, we can listen to things, and it's not a big deal. It doesn't do anything within us, right? And, and you're okay. And you're like, hey, I, but I, you know that's a struggle for someone else. So you just kind of like change your patterns to be helpful to someone else as they're struggling, right? So whenever you're in a group setting in life group and you want to watch a movie, um, just be really wise what movie you watch because you don't know where someone else is and you have no idea from the movie that you select what, how their heart um, is going to create so much less to send their bodies into hell. Be really, really careful and be really loving toward our friends knowing that we're all at different places. Number three, do the deep work of counseling. Do the deep work of counseling. What do I mean by that? I mean that some of us, we have so many wounds from our family of origin that's reinforcing the split of body and soul. No matter what family that we're in, we experience a split of body and soul, and Jesus has to heal us of that. But some families make it extra difficult. And you need to know the specificity of what it looks like with this family of origin of, of how to Jesus can heal you. You need to be able to pinpoint with specificity what's causing you and what's causing certain things to be able for you to even have lustful thoughts in the first place. You have to do the deep work of counseling knowing. So then you're like, okay, cool. I'll just like, I'll just pray and then I'll just change my patterns. It's a losing battle every time. There's a miracle that can happen. Sure, I'm saying, hey, look, if you want, and I'm talking to you, if you want actual healing, if you want actual healing, if you want actual healing, it's not steps one, two, or three, or a combo of one and two, or one, it is one, two, and three, all of these things happening at the same time if you actually want um, healing for us, right? Because our default is going to be to starving ourselves or defaulting to fast food. And, and what counseling is so helpful is it helps us see, especially Christian counseling is so helpful to be able to see the beauty of this banquet, this wholeness, the connecting of body and soul that Jesus wants for us. More on that, I'd love to talk to you after the table. We could talk more about that one-on-one, um, uh, -on -one, if that's you, if that resonated with you. Um, we, our team, we want to help you as well. Like we, there is, um, I think the reason I'm so passionate about this, one, for my story, but two, um, I think just because this is how the enemy is working and attacks you all the time. He's attacking, and he's attacking, and then you take steps, and he's attacking, and he's attacking, right? And you're trying to be strong, and it's just hard, and the temptation comes, and the enemy wants everything to destroy you, to steal your life. And for so many of you, your life has been absolutely robbed of any joy. Some of you know it, and some of you don't know it, that your life has been so robbed of joy without even knowing it. This beautiful banquet that Jesus wants for us to give you life in abundance and healing and wholeness. And this is exactly why... This is, and this is a big part of why we call the table a banquet for the broken. And we focus on both. We focus on there's a brokenness, there's a disintegration within us of body and soul, as well as other things that we struggle with as well, other sinful actions that we do, sinful thoughts that we have. There, there's a brokenness that we need to name and, exp and, name and know and confess. But I want to make sure that we know the banquet that Jesus wants for us. 
that we just need to, don't need to wallow in our sin and shame and, and like, oh no, like I'm so messed up, I'm so broken, like woe is me. Like, yeah, woe is you, sure, but you were created with the potential for good. And when Jesus comes to heal you, you can experience this goodness in him. There's this beauty of the banquet. That's why I love every single week here at the table. We just gather, we sit here, and we sing, and I talk, and other people talk, and other people sing, and we get to hang out after, and we have after parties, and we have life groups, and we have discipleship groups, and we have all these things to know that we are so broken, but Jesus makes us whole. And there is no healing and wholeness that we will experience outside of Jesus. And there's, it's possible, some of you don't believe me, I'm saying it's possible for you to be a single person and experience the healing and the wholeness and the satisfaction that doesn't come with intercourse or any sort of sexual immorality. And some of you tonight will start a journey. We'll, you'll get to experience that for the rest of your life. And I'm so excited for you. And I'm encouraged for you. And I want to pray for us as well. We're going to close with a song. Band's going to come out. Um, uh, Reckless Love. Where just talks about Jesus just coming after us and rescuing us with the love that he has. We're going to um, sing and I'll pray. Father, I'm so grateful for you. Father, I love you. God, we love you. God, you're doing such a work in us. God, thank you just for the, the, the night that we've had so far and just for the, for the text <laughs> as much as I did or did not want to talk about this tonight. God, you knew. And you're like, no, we're talking about this tonight. I'm like, all right, God, leaning in here. God, I pray that the hearts of our people, you just bring such a, a purity and a wholeness in a way that only you can do. And that this week, God, we can just have the conversations we need to have. We can schedule the appointments that we need to have. We can have the prayers with you that we need to have. We can um, um, have the, the, just cutting off the things that we need to cut out. Only possible, only made possible, God, by the power of your spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.